Hello, and welcome to Fiduciary Talk, brought to you by FI360. I'm Dwayne Thompson, Senior Policy Analyst at FI360. Here with me today to discuss his latest Fiduciary Corner column is Blaine Aiken, Executive Chairman at FI360. Welcome, Blaine. Thank you, Dwayne. As always, it's good to be with you. Same here. Uh, this time the topic is uh, about titles, the definition of a financial advisor for purposes of registration, as most advisors know, typically follows the traditional functional approach, meaning uh, do you provide advice on securities? Are you paid compensation for your, for your advice? Is it part of a going business uh, with respect to providing investment advice and, and along those lines? So it's, it's a real functional title. And, and as you know, that's part of the reason we see so many different titles out there, because it really is based on what you do and not what you call yourself. But that's what we're going to talk about today. There's another way to regulate financial advisors. Uh, it's not used that much, but it has been in the past. And in your column, Blaine, you said it could be used in the future. Can you tell us what's happening in this area? Sure. Well, uh, as you said, Dwayne, uh, both the, the DOL and the SEC have traditional taken that functional approach uh, to determining who is a fiduciary. Uh, but you can do it another way, and that's by the title, as you indicated. Uh, it hasn't been used much in the past, but uh, it's really the debate that's been going on over the DOL conflict of interest rule that's kind of brought this up again and uh, why we're seeing some uh, renewed interest in this approach. So in your column, uh, you uh, talked about how the Department of Labor's rule departs from the functional approach. And you mentioned that if you also mentioned that if Congress gets reengaged in the rulemaking, which there's been a lot of press about lately, uh, that they've already indicated through a number of legislative proposals uh, a new approach. So, what do you see happening? Yeah, well, I think that's uh, very true. And so, let's look at the DOL rule first. Uh, as you had indicated, uh, the historically they've gone a functional route in determining who's a fiduciary, and that's uh, overwhelmingly true in the conflict of interest rule. But for the, for the first time, uh, the department did embrace this holding out approach, uh, at least in a limited way, because they said that in addition uh, to whether you give investment advice or not, if somebody holds themselves out as a fiduciary, uh, under ERISA, then they're going to be held to that standard. That seems pretty obvious, but in the in the past, the DOL wasn't always able to successfully take on enforcement actions against someone who uh, essentially claimed fiduciary status, uh, but was uh, not meeting the old five-part functional test. So the DOL just found it really hard uh, to take enforcement actions. And Courts would tend to discount the holding out part and look only at the functional approach. So uh, in large part, the old definition was silent on a holding out standard, but uh, that changed under the new rule. So clearly the Department of Labor has expanded the definition to make sure they, they cover any uh, potential loopholes. But why, what makes this an issue today for Congress? Yeah, well, last fall, uh, a bill was introduced by House Republicans to roll back uh, much of the Dodd-Frank Reform Act. And um, this was obviously, the, it was mostly the Democrats who 
pushed through the Dodd-Frank Reform Act uh, after the 2008 financial uh, crisis. But what they did whenever the House Republicans sought to roll that back at the end of last year, they added something to the legislative package, which, uh, by the way, that legislative package did die at the end of the last Congress. Uh, but the, the language overturning the DOL fiduciary rule uh, and what they wanted to do was to give priority to an SEC rulemaking to establish a new standard. Uh, but instead of just giving the SEC a blank check, so to speak, in terms of uh, setting new conditions, what they did was they in, uh, included some provisions uh, that would require the SEC to explore other alternatives. And one of the alternatives was the possibility of simplifying the titles used by broker, dealer, reps, and investment advisors, as well as looking at ways to enhance disclosure surrounding the, the different standards of conduct that would apply to brokers and dealers, broker-dealers uh, versus investment advisors. Um, and as I mentioned in my column, you know, this isn't a completely new idea. Uh, the controller of uh, New York City several years ago also recommended a bill to the state legislature uh, that would have required financial advisors to disclose whether they're fiduciaries or not. Um, I didn't mention it in my column also that uh, insurance law laws have also uh, roughly comparable restrictions under their model law that prohibits deceptive practices by insurance agent agents. Uh, whenever they're, it prevents them from using titles like financial advisor if their only real intent is to sell insurance products. So the concept's out there, and occasionally it seems to gain some traction, and it seems to be right now. And uh, that this probably ages me a little bit, but it also reminds me of, uh, of what the SEC did uh, back in the 1980s. Certainly I wasn't uh, following it back then, but uh, uh, this this had to do with the use of the term financial planner and the SEC and the state state securities regulators looked at it and they looked at the popularity and in fact I think the Consumer Federation of America did a study on abusive practices using titles like financial planner when you're only selling products and certain things but anyway it had a lot of attention and at the end of the day uh, they came the SEC and the states came out with guidance that said if you hold out to the public as a financial planner, uh, that meant there was a very good chance you were providing investment advice, and therefore, using that title meant you needed to register as an investment advisor. So I, I don't think they got into the fiduciary issue directly, but uh, it certainly uh, they certainly looked at the use of titles and, and sort of added it to their uh, requirements in, in terms of who's required to register. Yeah, that's right, and I think that there is real bipartisan uh, support for this type of uh, control, and uh, and certainly within the the, the advisory professions, uh, there is an interest uh, always in trying to you know protect the reputation of the profession by not having confusion around titles. So uh, this is something that could gain traction. Uh, because of uh, industry support uh, to a certain extent, uh, consumer support uh, certainly, and, and uh, support from the professions themselves, the advisory profession side at least.
And so in this case, and, and again, we're, I, I, we're probably getting way ahead of ourselves if we try and guess what the SEC would do, let alone what happens to the Department of Labor rule, which still you know, is going into effect April 10th until something else happens. But uh, what we're talking about here, if this uh, bill in Congress passed and said, SEC, you need to study titles, we're not necessarily talking about any changes to the fiduciary standard. What we're talking about is how to define who is a fiduciary and subject to the standard based on what you call yourself. Yeah, that's right. Um, at least at this early stage in the new Congress, which really is uh, just getting organized, we haven't seen uh, that same bill resurface yet. Uh, but it is expected to reemerge in some form since House Republicans are expected to take another shot at Dodd-Frank. Uh, and when that bill comes out, assuming it's something like what we've seen, it's, uh, it probably will include something in it to restrain the Department of Labor's fiduciary rule. And I think they will want to put the SEC in the driver's seat instead of the DOL uh, to take a look at how to address fiduciary advice. Uh, it's easier, I think, for opponents of the DOL fiduciary rule to suggest an alternative approach than it is to just say, no, we don't want it. Uh, so I think it is likely that we'll, we would see something uh, along the lines of a holding out uh, version of uh, regulation being uh, proposed uh, legislatively and, and perhaps through the regulators. Yeah, well, you know, I, this is roughly analogous, at least to me, in, in terms of wrestling with the Affordable Care Act and what do you do? Uh, uh, if you eliminate it, you need to replace it with something. And in this case, I think uh, that's that's what Congress is looking at. Uh, fiduciary has, has taken on uh, more prominence in recent years because of this debate and, and all the other attention uh, going on with it. So... Uh, uh, I, I think it'd be hard just to sort of throw it, throw the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak, uh, if, if something like that occurred. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And you know, it's interesting, Dwayne, because uh, here we the um, opposition that we've seen to the DOL rule. I'm not sure that they were uh, thinking ahead to the possibility of there being a replacement along this line on the the holding out uh, provisions because, you know, that that opens up a, uh, a new battle area, if you will, where uh, not only do you have this uh, issue of having to restructure how uh, titles operate, uh, but you probably that would be coupled with these new disclosure uh, obligations to make clear what the differences in standards are. So I'm not sure the fiduciary opponents are going to be uh, too excited about this, I think it's more likely to, that the fiduciary proponents will be uh, out there backing this, not uh, because they want to see the DOL rule defeated, uh, but that if it's, uh, if it's held in limbo or if it's uh, weakened in some way or if it is killed, uh, why this would be uh, something that would be welcomed from, uh, uh, from the fiduciary proponent side, I believe. And indeed, and this has been pointed out many times before, that uh, traditionally this is what fiduciary proponents have used to distinguish themselves in marketing the differences with competitors who are not subject to a fiduciary standard. So it almost takes us back to that starting point in a way, but in a good yeah. way. Right. Uh, yeah, it's a, 
you've got the compliance side and you've got the competitive side come into play uh, on something like that. So uh, it will definitely be interesting to see where this all uh, goes from here. Well, I guess we'll find out more after January 20th. <laughs> Indeed we will. <laughs> all right. Thanks again, Blaine. Appreciate your uh, feedback on all of this. Thank you, Dwayne. Good talking with you.